0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. My name is Kim.
1: Hey, this is Anthony. This is Dan. Hey, gamers, this is Chris.
0: Unfortunately for this week, I won't be able to join Anthony, Chris, and Dan for this podcast. I'm feeling a little under the weather, but hopefully next week I should be up and about.
2: All right, Kim, we hope you feel better.
0: Yeah, feel better soon, Kim.
2: Yeah, Kim. Feel better.
0: So... Unfortunately, we're down 25% of our team, oh. but we'll find a way to pull through. Or not. We'll find out soon. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we're just starting, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> this is uh, episode 13, and this week we have a game courtesy of one of our friends at Myriad. He dropped it off to us because he kickstarted it. Amerigo. Amerigo.
0: Oh, my God. This game is so good.
2: Brand new Stefan Feld game, not in the stores for, I don't know, about a month probably still.
0: Yeah, a lot of the pre-order sites are saying November, December.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's super hot right now. People are really eager to get this game and only a few people have it and we were very lucky enough to land a copy so we've played it a couple times we're going to review it for you in a little bit but um in the meantime we actually have uh, our second top 10 list today we're going to talk about some of our favorite hidden rule trader mechanic games and there are a lot of really good ones uh, we've actually reviewed a couple of them on the podcast already but we're going to go back through like kind of our top 10 so and then um the first news post extra life that is not extra life related. Although to get started, we should mention because we didn't mention this number last week at all, and a lot of people were asking about it. Our grand total from the extra life event was two thousand one hundred and thirty-eight dollars in donations, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that was really really good. I mean, we were we thought if we would break a thousand, it would be a good sign. We even blew past that goal, which is fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's just exploded and i was sending out emails today to some of the publishers who were so generous to send us games and it was just really fun to write the emails i was like we did really well
0: <laughs> and what's great too is i mean we're still taking donations because we still have our contest going online which is great
2: yeah if you're listening to this uh around the time it come out comes out the contest runs until november 20th which is i think a wednesday so you have a few more days uh, probably to put your entries in to. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, and get your entries in there to win one of those games. Yeah, so help us to break uh, 2200. That'd be great. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. So in our first non-Extra Life news, we have WizKids, who is blowing it up this month, or at least blowing up our wallets.
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to put every single cent I have into stock in that company, because they put out everything this month. We got the new Lord of the Rings clicks. We got the Dota 2 Heroclix coming out. The Arkham Origins HeroClix just came out based on the video game, and they look awesome. Really nice sculpts.
2: Yeah, you just show this to me because you just got them yesterday. I think they just hit the store, and it's some of the best looking paint sculpting I've seen. I mean, their quality seems to be improving a bit lately. We make fun of them a lot, but they do seem to be getting a little bit better. But those ones look great. The yeah, Batman especially looked awesome.
0: Yeah, Anarchy looks awesome. Like the detail in these, it's like this set. I would say has like miniature quality sculpt and color. Sure. You know, nobody has like faces and their uh, like lines and their faces painted over, or their clothes and their arm blending in at the seams. Like you know that kind of sloppy, sloppy style. Which I got a few. I have a Magneto that has no face. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah.
2: My favorite is the uh, the Red Hood operatives, or where they have like the balloon eyes. Yeah. Just a big white circle. With they a look dot like in the they got
0: startled recently. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's
2: why she has the guns out.
0: <laughs> But yeah, and um, besides that, WizKids is also releasing the the dice game coming out soon, which will be
1: kind of like a hybrid of hero clicks and warriors. That's the uh, X Wing versus Avengers. Uh, uh, X Men versus Avengers. I'm sorry. X Wing
0: versus Avengers will be the ultimate crossover. that would be, the be, awesome. That'd be fantastic.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of X's flying around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: That'll be interesting because it's the usual kind of WizKids, you know, I don't want to say cash grab because some of these games are pretty fun, but. You know what I mean, Like just getting in people's wallets with the repeated releases, but it's with dice. I don't know how that's going to work.
0: That's the thing. This game is either going to go like, it's going to go like gangbusters, where it's just going to be blowing off the shelves and going crazy in sales, or you're going to see the same amount of packs sitting there from week to week. Because it's going to be, like, games like this are never a casual crowd. It's either you love it, or you're collecting it for those cards, or you just don't want to touch them. So we're going to see how that one goes, but I mean, I give them credit for at least trying something new, because deck builders, it's almost impossible to break into, because nothing's going to beat Magic. You know, how many deck builders have came out over the last 15 years? Magic's still here, who else is? Like, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, that's it.
2: Yeah, and they each have their very unique niche, you know.
0: Exactly. So. You know, because, like, there was, like, a vampire one. There was a wrestling card game. Like, you know, like, I think they even tried a Conan one or something or something like that at some point.
2: Yeah, I played Star Wars and Star Trek back yeah. in high school. So, and now, you know, they're all going, like, living card game style, which is completely a completely different kind of game. But the CCGs, deck builders, that kind of stuff, you're right, it's a very limited market.
0: And that's why the LCG model is incredibly smart. Like, hey, you know, can we get $15 a month from you for this chapter pack? Cool. But if you tried to make an original CCG, man, you know, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, I spent $30,000 on these Magic cards. I'm not leaving this game for anyone or anything. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, That's
2: like asking somebody who bought the first iPhone. You to switch to Androids. Android? It's like, yeah, I have $10,000 in apps. I do not <laughs> <think> so.
0: <laughs> I, I would love to leave this, but I can't.
1: Yeah. I literally cannot do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my mortgage here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I mean, uh, like all in all, I mean, Wizards just has. I like what they're doing with the Hero Clicks because it is almost impossible to find something that you like that doesn't have a Hero Click now. So I like that fact that they're just going like, "Hey, come on, come play this game, play this game." Like they're getting everything out there, and at least they're trying something new with the uh, the dice game. So
2: yeah, it's, it was interesting over the summer because basically every blockbuster had a Hero Click set. I saw Pacific Rim out there. I saw Lone Ranger. I saw the Superman movie tie in. Yeah, the Iron Man movie was out
1: there, too. Yeah, and the
0: new Thor ones. And I love that they make it really thematic. Like, in the new Thor set, there's a Loki figure that doesn't start on the battlefield because in the beginning of the movie, he's imprisoned. So you actually do a countdown before he gets freed and joins the battle. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, like, silly, but I love that it's like, hey, this guy is like this in this movie. He's like this in this kind of... They find good ways for... There's only so many things that you can do with the actual powers, but I like that they find ways to make it fit. Thematically,
2: yeah, and they're still doing cool old stuff too. So like '60s Batman,
0: those were awesome. Yeah, the TV Batman series ones are awesome.
2: <laughs> death traps.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the elaborate death trap, which again was great. Like beyond thematic, they're also and oh, and uh, next month they're releasing the Yu-Gi-Oh ones. Oh yeah, you've been talking about
2: those for a couple months.
0: And there's going to be the ability to actually use certain guys as a spell or trap card, besides being what they are. So just to, like, have that flashback to when I was a kid playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And being like, you've activated my trap card! It's going to be hilarious. You know, I mean, it's going to be a little sad seeing a grown man doing this. (laughs) But still, I get to say it. I mean, I don't care.
2: Which will be more sad, the grown man doing it or the other grown man who jumps across the table when the grown man (laughs) does it it?
0: Well, I, I just can't wait for the first person that goes, why don't you use real hero clicks and not that Yu-Gi-Oh! garbage? <laughs> That's going to be fun to hear. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, can you put away your toys and play with the toys that I'm playing with?
0: Sorry, my plastic's not as cool as your plastic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mine's from a comic book. <laughs> yeah, but kids, they want your money.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and another awesome release is that Fantasy Flight just put out all the lieutenant packs. For your Descent campaign. So, if there's anyone that's playing Descent, if you're the Overlord, and you've just been getting beaten down by those heroes left and right, these are going to give you a nice, vicious, nasty punch. And what's great is they give you a lot of variables. So, if you find people getting the upset victory on you, it gives you a chance to turn things around with some new surprises. Yeah, those look pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm glad they came out before the end of the year, because now I know exactly what I want as stocking stuffers. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. The the torrent of pre-holiday games is starting can see it we're just on online today looking at some of the stuff that just came out yeah it's, it's, it's starting to pour all the stuff we've been talking about the last three months that we're waiting for it's going to be out in the next two weeks
0: but i'm still waiting for suburbia
2: yeah it's in december now out, right? i know yeah.
0: it's gonna be a while yeah.
2: but you got bootleggers
0: yeah that boot, it today that was great i can't wait I'm like i'm gonna be at the mailbox like every day next week Bootleggers? 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 Got it's like i'll be seeing my mail do you have a package for me i work with you you already know the answer is no <laughs> But you have a package for me. <laughs> you looked in the bin this morning. No. <laughs> you were hiding it, right? <laughs> but yeah, I've been fiending that for the game for months. Like, I've been checking online seeing so if I can find an older copy cheap, like 50, 60, 70 bucks. Brand new copy, 40 bucks shipped. Can't wait. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. All right, so speaking of games that we can't wait for, Acquisition disorders coming up next. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, extra life done. What has our acquisition disorder going off now, guys? Because we now have time, and uh,
1: we have time. We finally have time (laughs) to play all those games. (laughs) Wait, my glasses—they broke. No, we were finally going to have time, time to play.
0: We were going to have time. That was one of the greatest episodes ever. Yes, that
1: was awesome. <laughs> Chris just went old school. I'm oh, telling right. you, it's real old school, but that is classic. That was classic. Now, if you could have that in a hero click, that would be awesome. I
0: want the rest of this podcast to be in black and white. <laughs> All right, done. That would be fantastic, though. Like Twilight Zone hero clicks? That would be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. Except yeah, but it'll be like you know like oh on the third click now it's a dice game. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh I attack you and now it's an RPG. That would be fantastic. Actually that would be awesome.
1: But they would I they want would, that. They would all be black and white and gray. That would be so cool. That would really stand out. You would have the uh, Martian to, to uh, feed uh, to surf man. You would have that guy. You would have the monster. <laughs> I think you can blow off the cover. Yes. Man time <laughs> to man mankind. No when you when you turn the dial the book yeah, right? flips over. <laughs>
2: that's our acquisition disorder this week. It don't exist.
1: (laughs) Well, that's Twilight Zone crossover games. We're continuing with Dan's million dollar ideas. (laughs) Someone's going to do one of these and we're going to be like,
0: oh, crap. I'm going to be so upset. (laughs) All I know is like KFC sandwich. Years ago, me and my friend were like, man, if there was a sandwich that was meat and had meat inside, maybe some cheese to wrap around. Sure enough, someone at KFC made a billion bucks off of our idea. That I my somehow idea would...
2: doubt you're the only person who thought they should make a sandwich with meat instead of bread. Well,
0: I always thought, like, instead of eating off a plate, I wanted to see it out of a bucket. And then they made the famous bowls. I mean, they're just stealing idea after idea from
1: me. And that guy was Hitler. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's what Hitler would do. Meat <laughs> on meat. Who would do that? And then put it in a bucket. Hitler. Colonel Sanders in the military, right? And it's true. He was a white guy. Look at that. Which mustache. military is he in? <laughs> That's right. It was
0: never. <laughs> I want the Colonel Sanders hero click. And every click, it just gets fatter.
1: And fatter. <laughs> he moves slower, <laughs> hits for less. <laughs> that would be terrible. You can't, you can't hold him anymore. He's so greasy. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> when you open the pack, squish. <laughs> oh, man.
2: So, what games do you guys want to get?
0: Well, uh, I got Terror of Mystica on the way, so I'm happy about that. I can't wait to check that one out because, like we mentioned a couple of, you know, uh, episodes ago, that it's going to be flying off shelves, and sure enough, it has been. So I'm looking forward to catching that one. It should be in hopefully within a couple of days. And bootleggers, officially on sale! I got one of the last six that was in stock, so I'm happy for that. That'll hopefully be in, in about, I think, like 7 to 10 days.
2: Yeah, we just saw it when we were doing the research like a half an hour ago. And it wasn't even listed on both websites, so... Literally just came out today.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and the last thing I got is I ordered just a couple more straight of the Arkham Asylum Hero Clicks because, oh my god, are those beautiful sculpts. They're so nice. And the one thing that I love is that hired killer deal. They actually have guys now that when you start, you choose a target for them, and if they murder that person in the game of Hero Clicks, 50 bonus points. So someone that's terrible like me at the game can actually have a score that they don't cry about at the end. (laughs) You get a couple extra points, at least. I may have only killed Puck, but now I got 90, not 40. (laughs) I wonder if you could put a mark on your own people. I'm just going to murder my own guy. (laughs) That would be cheap. But yeah, so surprisingly, uh, relatively small acquisition list for me this week, because usually I go buck wild on these things. But uh, until that Suburbia expansion and a few of the other things we've been looking for comes out, I think these will be holding me over.
1: Yeah, and I'm waiting for uh, Coup and Buccaneer Bones to come in uh, via Kickstarter. They're supposed to be both here this November. Oh, cool. did it, it shipped yet? you? Yeah, So it was in the, the warehouses in America, and they were supposed to be shipping out, so any day now.
2: You yeah, should I mean, have it any time. I know yeah. online they say the 27th. Sure. And that's to distributors. So
0: Yeah, I remember like, when I should be. first met you and we played Resistance. We were like, oh, if you like this, check this game out. I mean, feel like that was years ago. It, it's <laughs> been quite some time. Yeah,
2: yeah I'm, uh, I just saw Mice and Mystics, Heart of Gloom, Heart of Glorm, uh, just hit the, uh, it's shipping some places. Plat Hat's shipping it. A couple websites are shipping it. Uh, a couple other websites say next week. So that will be getting picked up very soon. Um, and then the Battle Lore 2nd edition, they're saying November, December, so that could be the next two to three weeks. Yeah. Keep my eye for
0: that. I'm hoping that that kind of gets pushed back a bit, because I want that too, but, ah, oh, just too much. Too Out many things too, so, Out yeah. of room in the budget. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's going to be brutal, because it looks so good. I know. I know. But we can always do Rune Wars to hold us over. That's true. Yeah, we can we get a few more. We haven't played that in, since mm-hmm. August. Yeah, I know. Oh my it's been too long. I know.
2: And now it's boxed up. We don't even need to look at it while we're recording.
0: <laughs> well, that's the one thing that I loved. Uh, when Extra Life was coming up, we are like, hey, we're going to be there 25 hours. We can easily do it. Never even touched it.
2: It was <laughs> like 1 a.m. and you're like, you want to play this? Chris and I are like, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, you actually were like, no. No, we're not. That. You were out of it. I was like, all
1: right. <laughs> Table space was at a premium, too. So yeah, would, that would have been hard to kind of set that up. And I would have been happy playing it on the floor. I don't care. And that then every weird. five minutes it would be like, Anthony, Anthony, raffle, Anthony, raffle, raffle. Yeah, all we would <laughs> need is for
0: someone to bump the table. Oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> you should leave now. <laughs> <laughs> but I just leave now.
1: <laughs> I've been awake for 23 hours, and you just knocked over my fourth year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was summer. Do you know what I get in summer with this card? No, no, I don't, because that game looks stupid. Get out!
2: (laughs) Yeah, so just a lot of the stuff we've already been talking about, because it is, you know, we're getting towards the end of the year, so there's not any new games being announced, at least nothing huge. Um, All the Fantasy Flight stuff is kind of hitting the stores soon. All the expansions that we've been waiting on are finally going to hit, hopefully before the holidays. You and I both know they want to be out before the holidays, so if they don't, something happened.
1: And next podcast, we'll actually have a holiday gift guide for you, so give you an idea of what to look out for and what will be hitting the Black Friday sales. Yeah, I'm really done
0: to see what some of these sites put on for their Black Fridays.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know last year, Chris, you were saying there's some pretty great sales, right?
1: Yeah, Cool Stuff and uh, Mini Market had two kind of competing sales on Black Friday. Um, Both were offering a discount and points. And I'm also looking forward to seeing what our local Myriad Games here in Staten Island is going to offer um, we even talked Paul about um, camping out the night before.
2: That'd
1: be awesome. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. What are you guys doing? What are they
2: selling? Is it the new PlayStation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's an expansion for Mice and Mystics.
0: Go, no, yes, yes it <laughs> is. You should wait in line with us. Well, since you're already here, you might as well get Terra Mystica. It might as well. It's like PlayStation. But made of cardboard.
2: <laughs> Can you imagine a line at a game store for something like the PlayStation? I just drove by GameStop, and there's like 100 people standing out there right now. Wow. Can you imagine that for a board game?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's actually kind of funny? For a merry I think I would be.
2: Yeah, like, if you didn't think there was going to be that many of them, a yeah. game like that,
1: Oh sure. I would go wait in line.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely like, especially if it was like, oh, you know, and it, it comes with like uh, the expansions. We got the Kickstarter editions in for sale, so we're giving the expansions for free. I would definitely be at that store when they open to get that thing. Yeah.
2: So spoiler, we like the game. Yeah. <laughs> before we get to the review, it's good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the next few weeks probably just keep listening because we'll we'll probably tell you when this stuff hits the uh, stores. But also, if anything slips in that we didn't see before.
0: And also, uh, definitely check us out on Facebook because if we find like a new release that looks good or something just hit the market, we can always throw some links up for you guys to be able to just jump on the gun
1: on those. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And we'll post some up some some online deals or some local store deals. So if you're always kind of keeping your eye out for what's new, check our check out our Facebook page because we'll keep you up to date.
0: Yeah, and
2: anything we get in too, we we like to do the unboxing video so you can see what's going to be in the box. So I'm sure you'll get to see Terra Mystica and bootleggers very soon.
0: And it's 85,000 wood pieces. Yes.
1: Yeah, if there's something that you're really interested in or not too sure if that would be the game for you, let us know. Post on Facebook and say, hey, I'm looking about this game. What do you guys think? We'll try to pick it up. We'll try to unbox it and kind of run through it so you'll have a feel for what's coming up next.
2: Yeah, we do a lot of stuff that people recommend. Um, Our friend Brian actually by far and away has the most points in this category. I think he's given us three or four games to review now. And I have two sitting at home that he wants us to review. It, so. He's like one with Kickstarter.
0: Yeah. Like every week, hey, did you guys see this new thing on Kickstarter? Look at the <laughs> hey, scene.
2: I just got this in and this in and this in and this is coming next week. I'm like, we can't play all those, man. They're long.
0: My favorite though is when he's like, yeah, I just got it from Kickstarter. How is it? No idea. I didn't look at the box."
2: <laughs> yeah, we actually played this, ran through it for the review, and then played it again with Brian to show him the
1: rules and the setup and everything. Yeah. You know. We played that other game too. The other Kickstarter game, that little card game, oh,
2: something different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he picked that up on Kickstarter too. He got it in probably the week after this. Nice. So, little party game. It was interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: What is that like? How? What does it play similar to? Is it like akin to something else, or is it's, it kind of its own thing?
1: It's it's kind of like a Flux version, like a Flux party game version. It's like Flux, but fun. <laughs>
0: uh, it, it was no. fun at times. <laughs> Well, that's a good selling point. Here's what it is: something different. Uh, it's, it's a fun idea
2: that doesn't feel like they tested it fully. Yeah, there are errors, there are problems. The rules, the rule is one page. It's one page of rules, and yet we spent half an hour trying to figure out the rules of this game
0: because <laughs> nothing's clearly labeled.
2: Somebody did.
0: <laughs> did they skip words or something? Like, well, it was. Yeah. And you draw
1: cards. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> oh, Stevie was saying it was the Ikea of directions. It was just, yeah, like, it was just some much. random lines drawn a paper. You're like, oh, that's how it works.
0: <laughs> yeah, how hard can this be? An hour later when you're crying, I don't want to play anymore.
2: Yeah, basically what it is, you put these cards down in one of three stacks. Some of them have new rules, like you have to speak with your elbows on the table, or you can't okay. put your tongue back in your mouth, or you can't <laughs> use vowels in anything. You, that's you know, true. Stuff like that. There can be up to three of those, so sometimes you'll be doing three of these at a time. Then there'll be duels where you'll challenge somebody, like a staring contest or keep your hand above your head. Um, Those are interesting things. The problem was with things like the iconography was never very clear. The
1: The rules were kind of random. random. And, you know, like there was some parts where it said, trivia question, so you would have to ask a trivia question, but there was really no consequence whether you got it right or wrong. And you could ask trivia questions that no one possibly could get right, so what's the point? So you basically were, we, we were playing cards to get rid of things that were annoying. The trivia but, questions that only Miley would know? Yeah, pretty much. This is a fictional pilot. What? It basically
2: ends up being like you play the, you, when you play the trivia card, everybody has to ask that question, so the only way it matters is if somebody forgets to ask a question. Yeah. Because oh, okay. the question you ask and whether or not somebody answers it, it's completely pointless. It's just but, like
0: an additional role yes. Yeah. If
2: you forget to ask the question, you have to draw cards.
1: Flux act this this game makes Flux look like it has rules and yeah. strategy. So, I mean that's it's like
0: you know, I mean for it's worth, like I don't I'm not even like really bad mouthing flux. Like there's a few fluxes I love. I just don't like it when you play a game of flux or something where like you go through the deck three times and you don't have a winner yet. Well that's that... the
2: problem with flux. If you knew flux was only ever gonna take twenty minutes, it'd be a fine game. Which when it what? takes an hour
0: no yeah that's why I love the zombie and Cthulhu flux yeah. because the game can win too so nobody has a reason to drag it out and everyone plays it like as quick as possible but yeah it, it, this sounds almost like um, like the, we didn't play test this
2: it, yeah it felt a little bit like that but with flux so it's kind of some of the drawbacks on both sides but also some of the benefits I didn't hate it
0: so it's essentially we didn't flux this
1: there you go that's a good name <laughs>
0: I got. It. I'll try it out at some point though. I'm I'm curious just to see you know if it can go faster. Yeah,
2: I think I still have it at home. because he lent it to me for the okay. review, but you know we'll we'll t- bring it out again. We only played it the once, so I don't want to say oh, this game's horrible or it's
1: not. But I think this game would be good with like kids and teens because yeah. half the game half the cards was uh, move like musical chairs. Get up and move to the oh, chair okay. to your left. Move to the chair to your right. It's like. Yeah, no. Yeah, I can I'm see okay. a couple of
0: people in a game group like, well, I'm that moving, do I lose? <laughs>
2: yeah. I was putting the deck together, I pulled those out. <laughs> people aren't going to do this, yeah. or someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> so. so, but, you know, we have a lot of games coming from Brian, and I know he has a couple more he wants us to look at, too. So, but, um, yeah, if you have any games, definitely let us know. Yeah, please. All right. So, next up, we're going to talk about our top 10 trader mechanic games. Um, these are some of the best games where you never really know who is what, and so it, it can really... It, some of them are short, some of them are long, some of them are uh, epic, especially during Extra Life.
0: 37 <laughs> Hour Battlestar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
2: but they all have that one thing in common, so that, that's coming right up next. At the table this week. All right, so this week we have a top ten list of our favorite Traitor Mechanic games. Some are very short, some are very long. A lot of them are cooperative, but they all have one thing in common. Someone at that table is working against the rest of the group. So the basic concept in any of these games is everybody has a role of some sort, and you don't always know what it is that everybody else has, but somebody or somebody's sometimes there's more than one, is playing against the game and you. All right, so let's dive right in with our top 10 trader mechanic games.
0: Number 10.
1: Shadows Over Camelot. Well, I never played this one, but it looks awesome. Chris, I know you did. Yeah, Shadows Over Camelot is a great game. It's been around for quite some time, and they actually have a Shadows Over Camelot card game. So in this game, you are part of King Arthur's Court, and you are going on a multitude of different quests to get Excalibur to get the Holy Grail to fight off the armies that are attacking Camelot and as you're going through this one of one of the, your knights is actually working for evil now you don't know who it is and as the game plays on you will say well we need to um beat this certain task and this task requires this number to beat can you help me beat that And you'll say, yeah, I think I have a high number. But you're never supposed to say what exactly that you have. So the trader can sneak in some low cards to help you lose, which kind of throws the game. And you always are wondering who is the trader in that game. So it's a lot of fun. It's a nice big board. has a lot of great little chits to it. And it definitely deserves our number 10 spot. Number 9.
2: A trail at the house
0: on the hill. Now, this is one I got to play a few times. It's a pretty awesome idea because most of the Trader Mechanic games, you know that you're the bad guy when you get dealt your card in the beginning. This game, you don't know until a condition is hit. And what's great is even if you're the one that sets it off, you may not be the bad guy. Like, it'll be like, oh, you found this cursed item. The person to your left now becomes a demon. So that's pretty fun, especially when it happens. And you're like, wait, what, I'm the bad guy now? Like, <laughs> So that part is pretty fun. I like that fact that it throws that curveball. And with so many scenarios, I think there's like 50 straight out of the book that, you know, you never know what it's going to be. It's not the same enemy. You're not necessarily just a cursed spirit. It might be like a Cthulhu thing or zombie horde or something like that. So I do like the fact that it's constantly changing not only how the betrayal works, but what the conditions are that now end the game.
2: Yeah, and the map is modular, too. It comes out as you explore. The tiles come out, and they're random. So you never really know what rooms you're going into and what you're going to face.
1: Yeah, and actually, so when the the is pers- the revealed, they'll actually have their own separate book walk off and try to figure out what they're, they're going to do next. And then the other team has their book, and they try to figure out, and they kind of, what are we going to do? How are we going to beat them? And sometimes you could actually have um, one of the big twists is, I think, a bird grabs the house and drags it up. I think we had that one. And yeah. everyone, everyone for themselves get going to grab a parachute and jump out the building.
2: Yeah, I was playing that. That was the first
1: time I played, I think. Oh, it was the first guys. time you played? Yeah, yeah. that's uh, Paul's favorite game.
0: Yeah, and uh, the one thing that's great is uh, when somebody becomes a betrayer, and when they walk off and you have your plan and you're all happy, and they come back and they just smile like a maniac. <laughs> you're like, why, why are you so happy? <laughs> yeah, it's one of
2: those games where you're not playing against the traitor the whole game, and once they're revealed, they're revealed. It's, you know, then it becomes kind of... Combative. It's not so much.
0: Yeah, and it becomes a whole new game.
2: Yeah, like so a lot of these games, you are facing off against that person the entire time. You just don't know
1: it. Yeah, and the game is really random. So the the traitor could pop up really early in the game with only a couple rooms out, or maybe all the way at the end of the game. It all depends on what rooms come out and what gets triggered.
0: And my favorite part, like you said, module board. It's always cool when even like what's going to happen and where you get to go changes from game to game too.
2: Yeah, you never know when you're going to walk in on. You know, a ton of great stuff in a room or just get hit hard. Number eight.
0: Saboteur.
1: So Saboteur is a really interesting game. I played this several years back. And you're a bunch of little um, miners that are going through the mine trying to get to the gold. Now, on the other end of the mine, there are three cards. Um, One of the three cards has the gold. The other two have nothing. So as you're going, you're supposed to be working as a team to dig the tunnel to get to the gold. Now, in this game, you're probably going to have one more than one trader. Your job as a trader is to put in front of the path rock slides, paths that go nowhere, and just generally destroying other people's um, tools so that they can never get to the gold. So... As the game plays out, you're kind of wondering who could be the trader because sometimes people are just playing cards to get to a certain spot that they think might have the gold. But since you don't know where the gold is necessarily unless you have a certain card, you're all playing together until the very end where the trader kind of reveals themselves by, you know, you're one step away from the gold and they they hang a left and now you're really in a bad spot. So it's a good game, really quick, really easy, really cheap. You can kind of pick it up. It's just a deck of cards. And it plays with a lot of people too. Yeah, it plays a lot of people, and I think that's the best part
2: about it, is that you can get a lot of people in, and then that changes the number of saboteurs. Yes. And because everybody has those tool-breaking cards, you can, even if you are not a saboteur and you don't necessarily know who they are, you might lock somebody down because you suspect maybe they're the saboteur. Like, I'm going to break your tools just because. Because you're eyeballing me funny. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the coolest things about trader mechanic games is trying to figure out who the bad guy is when you really don't know yet. Because if you can lock them down early, it benefits everybody. But if you guess wrong, you're just hurting yourself. Absolutely. So and this is one of those games where it really shows a lot because it's all on the table. You're building out the map. You're, you know, cutting your way through the mine to the gold. And everybody can see it as you go. So that is uh, Saboteur.
0: Number seven,
1: Bang. So, Bang is set in your basic spaghetti western universe where everyone knows who the sheriff is and they show their card, but the deputy, the outlaws, and the renegade are hidden. So, as the game goes on, you play cards to take shots at other players, heal yourself, and try to find out who each other is. Now, the deputy, knowing who the sheriff is, is going to protect him or her, but doesn't want to give away that they're the deputy, obviously. The outlaws want to kill the sheriff and kill the deputy, but once again, they don't know who the deputy is, and the renegade wants everyone to die. So (laughs) as you go on, you see, you know, someone's shooting at the sheriff, but, you know, is it the renegade? Is it the outlaws? Is it, you know, and people are shooting back. Well, clearly, if someone's shooting back at the outlaws, it's got to be the deputy, but remember, the renegade wants to be last too, so it could be the renegade. So this is a really interesting game because it's not just the basic traitor mechanic where you don't know who each other's role is. But you really have to play the game out because even if you can figure out what someone else's role is, you still got to take them out of the game. And that's really difficult because there are a lot of weapons, a lot of rules, and a lot of gameplay to have.
0: I just like that the sheriff doesn't know who the deputy is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the sheriff's – all the roles are dealt
2: out randomly and the sheriff starts the game just face up sheriff (laughs) – and I played the sheriff once, and you just you feel like there's a bullseye on your forehead because <laughs> you know at least four or five people mm-hmm. want to shoot you.
0: Based on the fact that you don't know who your friend is, do you also feel like the guy from Memento? <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> How did I, I get here? Why do I have this star? Yeah. I know I hired someone last week. Can't blue dog something.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I actually want to try that out now. That sounds pretty funny. It was
2: a really fun game. Yeah, and it lasts a little longer than some of these games, um, especially with a larger
1: amount of people. Everybody has, like, hit points, too. Sure, yeah.
2: So you have a certain number of bullets on your
1: card. Yeah, you can get this as an app also. Um, the game does run a little bit long for, you know, kind of a trader basic mechanic game. Um, but it is fun. Uh, I do think that the Sheriff has the most fun because you you, you see everyone coming at you. where Everybody else is, has to play really quiet and really deceptive.
2: Yeah. Now, the, the Sheriff, uh, and if anybody goes after the Sheriff at all ever you know who they are so you don't really have to worry about that so much but you do know at the end everybody's going to be going for you so and you have to be the one to you know take some of those first shots so and then there are some fun cards too like different weapons have different ranges and the range is how many spaces away somebody is sitting from you oh. chair wise all right that's not bad. so you start with a short range maybe you get a better rifle later on with a range of four or five which is probably going to hit anybody but then you can swap weapons with people using other cards, there's miss cards, if somebody shoots at you you can play it they miss you, there's all sorts of cool stuff in there that changes how the game plays out but in the end it's trying to figure out who everybody is and then take each other out.
0: Sounds pretty cool Number 6
2: Shadow Hunters. All right, this is a game that comes out a lot at the store, and it's one of those games that is it's hidden role. Um, it's not really a traitor necessarily because everybody has a set person they're going after, but you have your shadows who are trying to kill all the hunters, your hunters trying to kill all the shadows, and then neutrals who are just doing whatever the heck they want to do. Uh, they each have their own win conditions. Some of them are kookier than others. But the basic goal then is you try to figure out who everybody is so you can either attack them, help them, or ignore them. Depending on what the role is and how it impacts the game. So, this is a really great game just because, yeah, every time it comes out is a little bit different, but it is very combative. You're definitely going after people every time, but there's a little bit, there's that luck element with the dice. You can't necessarily just attack somebody every single time you want to.
0: Yeah, because there's the three different cards white is like protective and healing cards, green is like inquiry cards where you get to find out kind of who somebody is. And then the black is the attack cards. And what's interesting is this game goes from the beginning. You're trying to do like more questionary, like, all right, is this guy on my side? Is this a neutral? Then later on, it becomes almost like full fledged combat, which is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And the white cards are interesting because they are mostly protecting or healing. But sometimes there's something that throws in there that just it can hurt other people. Or there's cards that you have to use. Um, but then there's also some cards that let you reveal yourself if you want to use it. And then every card, every character card has like a reveal condition, something that gives you a bonus if you reveal yourself. So that can be interesting. So at any point in the game, you could reveal yourself. It's not necessarily recommended early on, but later on, maybe it makes a lot of sense to do that.
0: Yeah, and I always like one of the things where, um, you know, you'll do an attack that hits multiple people. And then one of those guys will play a card on you where it's like, oh, if you're a shadow, heal one damage, and you'll heal one. And they just go, stop attacking me. We're friends. But nobody <laughs> else at the table knows what you two guys are. So that's always pretty fun.
1: Yeah, this is surprisingly, so it's really heavy mythology, a lot of attacking, a, a lot of strategy. But consistently plays as a, as a big party game. Everybody kind of sits down and plays
2: this. Yeah, I've played it at parties multiple times at the store and outside the store. It's just, it's quick to teach. I think it's what it is. Sure. Like if you haven't played it before, it takes like five minutes to pick up. Um, the one problem with the game, I'd say, is that if you get knocked out early, the game can run forty plus minutes sometimes. Sure. You could be out in the first five minutes easily, and yeah. then you just have to go get a soda because yeah, you're not going to be playing any games for a while.
1: Sure. And the board itself is pretty simple. You have a health track. And towards the end of the health track, there's letters that correspond to the names of the characters you have. So when it hits the letter that's the first letter of your name, you're out of the game. Um, And then you have, as Dan was saying, you have these different spots on the board which allows you to get green cards, white cards, black cards, choice of your own, or have special actions. So really simple, really quick, really easy, and good components, too.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. And if you pick up the game now, new, you get the expansion packed in. has some extra cards in it.
1: Yeah, check out our early review. This is a good game.
0: Number 5.
2: The Classic
0: Werewolf. Werewolf is one of those awesome games that usually you've got to play about 8 people, but sometimes you'll see in convention halls where they're playing like 70 and 80 people. It's a really basic concept when you play the simple game of just villagers, the werewolf, and then as time has gone on, they added more and more roles, artifacts, and items... It's a surprisingly easy game that they decided to up with complexity by order, making expansion after expansion, which was pretty cool. But basically the game works is you get Delta card face down. If you're a werewolf, you're hunting at night, taking out villagers, and in the day trying to trick them. If you're a villager in the day, you guys kind of have it the worst as you blindly vote somebody to go to execution and really, really hope you made the right decision.
2: <laughs> it's really hard to win as villagers, especially with a small group.
0: Yeah. Because um, you
1: have, like,
0: three rounds. Yeah, werewolf is the ultimate game of chaos because the villagers have nothing to go on.
1: Well, you do have the seer, if the seer's lucky enough.
0: Yeah, but it's also you have to believe that person, and if the seer stands out... So, basically, yeah, on a side note, the seer is somebody that gets to ask every night the moderator if somebody's a werewolf. But the problem is, if he gets two right guesses in a row, the werewolf is just going to destroy that guy. Sure. <laughs> so, but it is a pretty amusing game. It's pretty fun. As a villager, you always feel behind the eight ball... 'Cause you're looking around the table, like it's like, uh, Todd Todd's a werewolf. He's wearing his hat differently today. Kill Todd Oh, Todd's one of us. So.
1: <laughs> Whoops. Whereas <laughs> we usually play Anthony's got a beard, therefore he's a <laughs> werewolf. And yet nobody ends up voting for me.
0: <laughs> it's like, your hands weren't where they were when we went to sleep. You're the werewolf. You were sure. pointing at... So, there are like
2: three or four people in our group at Myriad who instantly get voted out every Rob. single time we play Rob. because they just talk a lot. And Rob. And Rob, yeah. <laughs> and
0: so they're the most destructive forces. Yeah. But,
2: yeah. They're never the werewolf either. It's just like...
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, anyone that uses a defense of, well, if you think I'm a werewolf, it's like they already doomed yourself. <laughs> Stop talking. One of my favorites is we played a game where we were using dice to figure out, we called it the, uh, the werewolf calculator or something like that, and it was hysterical because it was just as accurate as anyone else's guess for any reason.
2: It was a lot of fun. That was I hysterical. Mean, Earl's brain was about to explode. Yeah. He was not having fun. But...
0: That's when me and Katafumo formed Team Reckless. And... Yeah. That was
2: awesome. That was like a solid hour of werewolf. Yeah. We played a lot.
0: And people just couldn't believe that the dice was getting it right. Yeah. (laughs) And the best is, in one of the games, we were the werewolves, and the dice came up, and people were like, well, that would just be silly voting for yourself, and let us live.
1: (laughs) It does play long, it is really random, and it does have that, you get knocked out, go have lunch. Yeah. Because it's going to be a while.
0: And that's the thing, it's like, if you're playing werewolf, once like more than two people vote for someone, just go with the flow. It's, yeah. it's you should not drag out Werewolf. That game is meant to be done quick and just in hysterics. Not trying to seriously think it through and go, well, if this person, then this person.
2: It's this- not a strategy. Game. Yeah,
0: there is no algorithm. It's just you know, sneeze, roll a die, you know, spin around the room. Whoever you point out, bam, vote for them. It's just as good as any other guess. It's
2: the reason we play at eleven o'clock every
0: night. Yeah. Number four.
2: Werewolf Inquisition.
0: Now, what's nice about this one, there is a little bit of logic and reasoning to this game. It's a non-elimination mechanic game, which is, you know, a different style than Werewolf and some of the others. Basically, same deal where you get dealt a role, but instead now there's actually a village. And people are choosing roles in that village to activate those powers. The way it works is there's a village leader... He wants to try to find the werewolf amongst the piles of cards. It's set up on a 4x3 grid. And at night, it's almost similar to the werewolf, where at night, the villagers will close their eyes. You'll pick up one pile of those cards that the villagers selected. Whoever is a werewolf is going to choose who they want to die on the bottom of the deck. So when you lay out this card, you have to pay a little bit of attention, because you have to make sure you put things back in a very particular order, because one of those people will be executed come morning. But... Villagers vote during the day using voting cubes, which is kind of a cool mechanic. So they actually can find the werewolf by using the right cards, right abilities. So you may be a werewolf and get outed, but it doesn't mean the game's over, because you can actually still fight against the villagers. Which Chris did, to terrifying success.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm no longer allowed to play this game. <laughs> oh, my.
0: And I still think it was hysterical that the person next to you was also the werewolf. Yeah, Tiffany. And what's nice is you can actually play a smaller game. This is actually, you only need four or more. So, some of these party games, you know, they're not good unless you've got like six, seven, eight, ten players. This game works pretty well, even
1: small group. Number three Resistance. Yeah, Resistance or Avalon, both the same game with a different skin, is a really interesting trader mechanic game because in this game, you actually have teams. So, for example, with the Resistance, the original version of the game, you were either playing the Resistance, who are fighting to save the world, or you were playing as a spy, sent by the government to infiltrate the Resistance and f- help them fail missions. So, you're, once again, you're given a roll card, and you'll either get the red card, which is the spies, or the blue cards, which are the Resistance. And then throughout the game, you're asked to be sent on missions to overtake the government. So, there'll be a leader token that goes around, and as the leader, you will pick the people to go on the missions. So, in the start of the game, you have no idea, um, as one of the Resistance members, who is a spy. Now, just like Werewolf, you, one of the spies, you will know who the other spies are. So, the Resistance leader will pick people and put people on the team. So, they will then, at that point, everyone gets to vote... if if that team will go through. If that team does go through, then that team will either pass the mission or fail the mission. Now at this point, which really is great about this game, is now you have some information. Spies are going to fail the mission. Resistance, the good guys, will never fail a mission. So if there's a failure in that collection of cards, you can figure that one of those people is a spy. And that leads to a lot of interesting talk conversation and sneaking around and trying to figure out who to put on the next mission whoever gets to three failures or three successes wins the game
0: yeah and I kind of like this game a little more because again it's no elimination so you don't have to worry about sitting out for a while though if you do get revealed as a spy a little early if you tank missions in a row and someone knows it's you you're never going to get to go on a mission again so your votes are kind of just being wasted every turn
2: Yeah, and it is possible, even if you're not a spy or don't do anything, to not do anything throughout the game. Someone has to pick you to go on a mission. Sure. And only so many people get to choose the missions, because if you have more than five players, then
1: it's not going to rotate around you anyways. But But the fun thing about this is, as a spy, you could pass the mission... To get on later missions that you can yeah, tank
0: to build up that trust factor, and one thing I love too is that you know you deal with these little like assault rifle and submachine gun chips to everyone you want sure. on your team. So when you get one of those, you're like, "Yeah, man, I'm armed, I'm ready to go." And when somebody votes down that team, you're like, "What? Why are you doing that, man? That's not cool." Even if you're a spy, you always have to play up that you're a good guy. Like, no, no, you can trust me. So,
2: <laughs> and you're legitimately sad because. If that happens, especially yeah. early in the game, you know you're not going to get to go on another
0: mission. You're like, no, they're going to think <laughs> I did it. That, and one other thing I love, too, is that it comes like with that expansion set of cards where if you want to up the factor of the game, some people like them, some people just want to punch people in the faces when they use those because they are some g- like game-breaking mechanics in there.
1: Sure, the cards have special abilities that you can use on a players to find out what they are or to give you some extra chances of success. And there's also, with the Avalon... Edition that came out there was an expansion that or actually a couple couple of cards that went back to the resistance um, deck which allowed you to have a merlin card and an assassin, assassin card. card so just like the avalon game which is if you really like king arthur and arthurian legend that's the one you should go with but the resistance also has now that ability that at the end of the game if the good guys win one of the bad guys the one of the spies who is the assassin can try to guess who, who of the monks the resistance is Merlin and if they guess that person right they kill that person Merlin and the resistance loses the game now just like what a little bit like what the seer does in the werewolf game the Merlin will know who the spies are so throughout the game they'll try to be giving hints to the team without giving themselves away
0: yeah, and that's the one thing too. It's because Merlin knows all the bad guys. He doesn't yes. have to inquire; he just knows. But like you said, it's very hard to subtly play off that. Oh, you know, like I don't like know. I'm not Merlin. Why would you want yeah. to kill me? There's
2: no elimination, so you have to deal with them the whole time. If they know, if they figure out who you are, game over. Yeah,
0: and it's also one of those things where if on the first mission you're like, no, don't take Chris. You already just gave the bad guys the win. They're definitely going to off you because you're Merlin. Yeah.
1: And that adds such a great extra dimension to the game because even when good guys win, there's still a chance for the spies to come back and grab that victory. Yeah, even randomly. They have no idea. They could just guess and they have like a one in five chance. But you get to play out that very last turn like, you know, everybody else is trying to pretend to be Merlin. You're like, I am Spartacus. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great game. Definitely should pick it up. Resistance, if you're looking for the modern flair, or um, Avalon, if you're looking for the medieval theme. Number
0: two, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, this is, this is one of my favorite games, hands down. Games does an amazing job of capturing the feel of the show. And everyone gets, most of the games you get dealt one loyalty card in the beginning of your game. This one, you get dealt a loyalty card in the beginning. And everyone might be a good guy for the first part of the game. There's a second round of loyalty cards halfway through the game. And that's when you can find out you were a sleeper agent the whole time. So one of the very few trader mechanic games where you're like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm do. Oh, I'm working against you now. <laughs> and when that happens, you gotta have a really good poker face because you could like as soon as people get those second loyalty cards, everyone starts looking around to see the first person that's like either cheering or looks sad. <laughs> so, but I mean, if you can get past that far, like you know, we we uh, last time we played. We actually had it where everyone covered, like, the top of their face, like, you know, like they were getting let out in cuffs or something, so no one can see each other's facial expressions by looking at their card. And that actually made the game a little harder to peg who was good and who was bad. But between, like, trying to pass the missions, hoping that you guys can achieve your victory, and then only to find out that you were actually with the bad guys the whole time through is an awesome feel in any game.
2: This game's great because you'll play for, you know, 30, 45 minutes... And it's hard. The game is hard, legitimately hard. You're playing against the game, but maybe you're all good. Fine. You deal out those second loyalty cards, and it gets harder because now there's people playing against you. And then at some point they might reveal, and it gets even harder because they're throwing stuff specifically at you. So the game just keeps escalating, but it's built into the game, how it escalates. And you're always still trying to figure out who the traitor is until they finally reveal.
1: So it, it uses that mechanic better than any other game. Sure. by far. This game is, is tremendously thematic. If you ever watch the recent series, I don't think there's a game out there that really embodies the IP like Battlestar Galactica does in this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's multiple expansions for this game, which just heaps on even more options, and one thing that's interesting in this game is, you can even be a Cylon leader, which means you already know who one of your enemies is right off the bat, which sometimes almost makes it a little harder, because you're like, oh, well, there's six of us playing, One of the other five is on their team, and we don't know who.
1: And even the silent leader could have a win condition that could be to help you
0: to a certain point. And that's the thing. And you don't know that silent leader's win condition until the end. So he'll be helping you, helping you. And you're like, oh, he's one of the guys that's for humanity. And then at the end, he destroys everything because his victory condition is it all ends in ashes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was Anthony, right? Oh,
0: that was horrible.
2: Yeah, and he had to like have all the dials down to a certain point.
0: Everything had to be read and then two of them depleted at the same time or some nonsense like that. And just when it happened, I mean, he was laughing like <laughs> a maniac.
1: And, this, and game, this game also has the challenge of being just one of those traditional hardcore co-op games where... Even if you don't have Cylons, it's really a hard game to beat. oh yeah, you're not gonna win most of the time. I mean, even if you don't
2: add all the stuff from the expansions, which makes the game harder, and even if you don't you know ramp up the difficulty in other ways it's just, it's just hard to play like the first yeah, the first hour, even when everybody's good, yeah you're gonna find yourself falling I, behind. we actually Damn. had
0: it where uh we we lost the game in the beginning because we were just getting really hard challenges and Nobody was a Cylon, which was kind of funny. Because <laughs> you're always suspicious, so you're playing careful, and, you know, our it's true. It's like, you know, our mistrust in one another led to our extinction. Sure. So, but And the other thing that's really fun, too, is most of the other games, the bad guys know who the bad guys are. You might be a Cylon in this game. You have no idea who that other Cylon is until they reveal.
2: Yeah. yeah the only thing I'd say about this game is that it's long, so you should... You know, think carefully about who is playing in the game Like bringing in strangers who maybe you don't know how, What type of game they like to play um, Or even friends that maybe Might not understand the mechanics Of backstabbing yeah. each other Haven't played these kind of games before It can backfire, people can get upset halfway through the game And then there's two hours left
0: yeah The one thing I will say though is once you know who the silence are, play faster. <laughs> Just play those cards or don't play those cards. there's no reason to keep chatting for forty minutes about whether or not we're going to keep our water or one fuel. Just play faster That's my only request from anyone I play this game with
1: and there's two things obviously you need to know the game before like as Anthony said before going into it what to expect, and at least how to it's when you look at the game, it's tremendously complex. there's so much going on, but as long as you keep with what your character needs to do and what character cards you're getting and what your special abilities are, you just focus on that, I think you're okay. Um, because looking at all the different dials and things that happen are really is really overwhelming. Um, and the second thing is Nick is always a Cylon. Yep. So if you keep that in mind, you're, you're in good shape. <laughs> and, and one thing that's, uh, you know, you actually mentioned like how much is going on in that game. What's kind
0: of interesting is as busy as the board is, it actually even helps capture more of the feeling of Battlestar. Where it's like, what are these dials in that space in this track? Don't worry about that yet, because you have to deal with this part now. So, even like the, teaching the rules of the game
1: feels like an episode of Battlestar, where it's like, <laughs> it's like don't worry about tomorrow, you gotta make it through That's tonight. That's in season two. <laughs> as yeah. long as you don't have a chaotic neutral playing with you, you're kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely manage your group. Yes. Mm-hmm. We gotta get that out again,
2: so you can get that six-hour game oh, out of your head. Yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> Play a four-and-a-half-hour one. Something faster. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> Only half my night.
0: And finally, our number one, Agricola. How can Agricola be number one? I don't.
1: I don't know. It's just it's on my list. I, I, I didn't put Agricola. Dan, did you put Agricola? Who's? Did Kim send it in? I don't know. Where really? is she? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Suspicious by her absence. It was. Kim! The purple meeple strikes again. She was a traitor all along.
0: She was the one. She just played five red mission cards on this podcast, man. Yeah, it's always the last <laughs> round. You think you're going to get there. You think you're going to get there.
1: It's always the one you least ex- expect.
2: Yes. She's not even in the room.
1: But the purple meeple is here. <laughs> mocking us.
2: All right, so by default, I guess that makes Battlestar number one trader mechanic game. Absolutely. That's a fair number one. Because it's awesome. It is. It's pretty fantastic.
0: And a fantasy flight takes the number one spot again. Woo!
2: Yeah! (laughs) What a surprise! (laughs) It is twist. I don't know. We can make Agricola a trader mechanic game, right?
1: Agricola is a trader mechanic, basically, because the game... Really wants to you hate your life. <laughs> I was gonna say, like every time I play. So you're a game, traitor against yourself. You're traitor against, like you're playing me for fun. Sorry, that's not what we're doing at all. Misery. Misery. Misery farm. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. It's a great game.
0: It is fun. But I, I kind of almost do feel like a slight traitor mechanic when I do play that. Because I feel like all oh, you backstab me where it's like, you know I only have two people. Why do you even have to take the family growth? <laughs> Come on, let me have a kid. <laughs>
1: Do I really need to feed my people this round? Come on, Frank. Feed your people. Come on. <laughs> you're, good you're not job. building anything with that stone. Why do you keep taking this? <laughs> so much traitor,
0: though. Yeah, it's just being mean. Yeah, <laughs> It's just a mean, mean game for terrible people.
2: <laughs> I love that you guys love this game. And every time love you talk game. about it, you're
1: like, and it's, people die and it's awful. And that guy across the table is a jerk. There's something about the game, because Earl recently pulled it out and was like, now we're going to heat our houses. I'm like, that sounds horrible. I want to play. Yeah, like we said, like, you know,
0: like, like there's not enough working against you in that game. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, and now it's actually combined with pandemics, so your people can get sick. <laughs> awesome. Great. Love this.
2: <laughs> All right. So that is our top ten Trader Mechanic games. Or really, I guess, our top nine, plus Agricola. Thank you, Trader. <laughs> Purple Meeple.
1: Purple Meeple.
2: But if if you like this kind of game, if you like the idea of this kind of game, any one of these is great, and they all kind of have their own niche in terms of how long they play, how many people they play with, whether or not there's player elimination, um, the thematic nature of the game. There's a lot of really cool stuff there. If you have another one that you like and that we missed, please share. Um, we'll go on Facebook or Twitter, send it over, and we want to play it because we love these games.
0: Yeah, and uh, the one I would say you should definitely get for your starter, if you guys never played a Trader mechanic game before... Resistance has like that nice price and the good learning curve. It's probably the easiest one to get into. It can fit up to ten players, so that's always nice. And you know, it has a sliding scale, different number of people going on the missions for different number of players. It's quick. Yeah. And it's, it's like about like twenty
1: bucks, twenty five bucks. So it's not too pricey either. It's
0: good
2: yeah. entry. Yeah. And like Chris said, if if you don't like the theme, the sci fi futuristic kind of theme, go with Avalon.
1: Avalon. Yeah, Avalon's a great game. I would definitely pick that up. And listen to our previous podcast. We covered a lot of these games before.
2: Yeah, we've reviewed a few of them in depth. And we will review Battlestar as
0: soon as Kim finished watching the show. Oh, I can't read. We don't want to spoil it. Yeah. (laughs) Because some of those later editions of the uh, expansions definitely give away a couple of things. Yeah, I know.
2: (laughs) She comes, hovers by the tables like, you don't want to look at these
0: cards. (laughs) My favorite is, who is that? You don't have to worry about that yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's tomorrow. (laughs)
2: All right, so we're going to switch gears here now. We're going to jump into our feature review, which is very much not a trader mechanic game. Everything's right out there for everybody to see. I don't know is... about that. That tower,
1: <laughs> the the, that tower, the you're trader? never really sure what's going to come. You put cubes in, and cubes don't come out. That's true.
0: Yeah, when you only drop three of those black cubes, I felt they were like a trader mechanic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have a little switch in the back. I'm
0: <laughs> you drop the cubes in every time. He has two of his hmm. fingers in a window just hold them. <laughs>
2: All right, so that's next up. That's our future review of Amerigo. And now for the feature review. Hey, everybody. The feature review this week is Stefan Feld's Amerigo, the newest game from Queen Games that just hit for Kickstarter backers and that was a big hit in Essen this year. Amerigo is a sort of hybrid game that combines a lot of different game mechanics into a very complex but surprisingly simple format that plays between two and four players on a modular game board and with a very cool quasi-dice tower. So in Amerigo, you are basically an explorer. You are discovering the new world. You are setting up trading posts on islands. You are finding resources. You are trying to outmaneuver your fellow captains to set up the most trading posts, but also to get the most progress tokens and the most commodities and the most just plain cool stuff, while at the same time fighting off pirates who want to take all of your cool stuff. Uh, This is a Euro uh, through and through, but it has a lot of elements that make it kind of unique for a Euro, as you might expect from a Stefan Feld game. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of those elements, how this game is so different, and how it plays, which is very unique and is part of the reason so many people are so excited about this game. So, when you first pick up Amerigo, you have a very heavy box, a large number of components, lots of cardboard to punch, and rules that look very intimidating. But it only takes a few minutes before you realize this game is not actually that complicated. Somehow, Stefan Feld has managed to pack at least four or five different types of game mechanics. Into a single box, make them work seamlessly together, and make the setup and playthrough time relatively manageable. So, the game comes with this custom made dice tower, and we're calling it a dice tower because that's what Queen Games calls it. But it's really more of a cube tower because throughout the game, you're going to be dropping different multicolored cubes into the tower. And the mechanic basically is that at any given time, some of those cubes might stick in the tower. So you drop, let's say, six different blue cubes in there, maybe only four of them pop out, but maybe a black and a red cube pop out that were in there from before. So what this does is it makes it so uh, during any given phase of the game, multiple cubes of different colors can pop out unexpectedly, giving people the ability to use different actions than they normally would be able to use during that phase. So instead of something like dice deciding how many action points you have or how many different types of things you can do, you actually have a dice tower that decides which actions you can actually perform. And because it affects everybody who's playing, it's an even playing field. The game remains very balanced because of it, but manages to make it so everybody has to make that decision every single phase of every single round, and there are many of them. So the setup of the game basically involves laying out a number of map tiles, and they are randomly shuffled together, and you lay them out, in an order that matches with the number of players that are going to play in that specific game. So there's a different number of map tiles on the board for two players or three players or four, but they are random. So every single time you put the map together, it's very different. This is one of the coolest elements of the game because the game map remains modular. Sometimes you'll have two or three really big islands. Sometimes you'll have 10 or 15 really tiny islands, and it can completely change how all of you play the game, which is a fantastic element. Um, Once you have the game map set up, you put down all of the commodity tokens on the board where it matches, things like the cotton and the sugar cane and the coffee beans, and then everybody sets up their player board. You have your individual player boards along with a ton of markers and chits that go all over the table. There's a lot to set up, but it's actually surprisingly easy to set up once you get the hang of it. Um, And then you can dive right in and start playing the game now the game actually plays very simple as you'd expect from a Stefan Feld game you have tons of elements but they're not all in action at any given time so to start the game you dump all 49 cubes into the dice tower whatever comes out you spread apart you break up into the different colors and you place them on a separate board now throughout the game Every time there's a phase, you're going to drop in the colored cubes for that phase. So you might start with blue, and then there's black, then red, then brown, then green, and so on and so on. And there's seven of those. And every single time you switch phases, you're going to drop in that phase's cubes. Now, the reason you do this is because not all of those cubes are going to come out. You might drop in six brown cubes and out pop four brown cubes, three red cubes, two white cubes, and a black cube. And the reason this is important is because every single color that comes out of that dice tower is a colored action you can use because each of those colors corresponds to an action. And this is the coolest part of the game because anybody can use any of these actions during any one of their turns depending on what pops out of the dice tower. Now, the number of action points you have available is also going to be determined by that Dice Tower. So let's say the brown tokens come out and there's four, and that's the most of any one color that pops out. That's how you decide how many action points you have. If more blue tokens came out and there was five of them, you'd have five action points. If there were only three of whatever the color came out the most of, that's how many action points you have. And there are other things that can affect your action points. Progress tokens can give you extra action points. Um, throughout the game, or you can build up gold on your player board, and that gold can be spent to give you extra action points once. But the bottom line, and the, really the main mechanic of this game, is that you drop those cubes in, they pop out, they tell you which actions you can perform, how many times you can perform those actions, and what the, everybody else at the table is going to be able to do. Um, some of the actions in the game include moving your ships, and that's the blue and you can move them between all of the islands every time you stop at an anchor you can plop down a trading post which means you'll be able to build on that island there are black cubes which represent cannons you have to build up cannons because at the end of every round and there are five rounds you have to fight off pirates if you can't fight off the pirates if you do not have enough cannons to fight off the pirates you actually lose victory points And it doesn't make a huge difference early in the game because the difference would be minor. But later in the game, this can really add up and it can affect the outcome of the game. The red, for example, allows you to buy landscape tiles. And the landscape tiles are what you're going to build on each of these islands. So once you've dropped down a trading post, you can place landscape tiles or village tiles next to your trading post to take up space on that island. Now, why would you want to do this? because there are commodity tokens on those islands every time you build over the top of a commodity token you get that commodity token you put it on your player board it stays there for the rest of the game and it's going to matter at the end for scoring the there are some other benefits of building on islands if you complete an island for example you get some bonus points if you complete a big island you get even more bonus points if you build on a big island you actually score more points than if you build on a small island but there is the disadvantage that you will probably complete fewer islands by building on the big one. Basically, the idea is that everything balances out in one way or another. If you go and build on 10 small islands and complete half of them, you're going to get more points for completion, but you get fewer points because you went for all the easy ones. Whereas someone on the big island gets a ton of points every time they build anything, but they might not complete any islands at all, and then they get fewer overall points from that. But building is only one aspect of the game, even if it is the most visible aspect, because it's right there on the board. One of the more interesting aspects is the end-of-game scoring, which involves a ton of stuff. So the building of the landscape and village tokens and tiles happens throughout the game. Everybody scores as they go along. But at the end of the game, there are going to be four separate things that can affect your score. Number one is the progress track on your player board. And this is one of the actions you can take. You can move up this progress track by spending action points. Number two is the white track on the main board. And this is the track that determines who goes first. So whoever's in the lead on this track goes first every time. And it has kind of a cool wild card element, too. If you The, the track is colored based on the different cubes. So you might be on a brown spot, someone else might be on a red spot, and the third player might be on a green spot. Those correspond to which actions you'll be able to take if a white cube pops up. It sounds complicated, but basically, the white is wild, and you can use whatever color you're on at that time. The third way you can get points at the end of the game, and this is the biggest swing that we saw in any of our playthroughs, is the commodity and production tokens. Now, these are actually the same tokens, but you get them in one of two ways. The commodity tokens are located on the map, And you're going to get them anytime you build over the top of them so the more you build the more commodity tokens you get the production tokens are going to come up when the yellow cubes pop out and you can buy them off the game board now how the scoring works is that for every pair of commodity and production tokens you multiply them times each other so let's say you have two cotton that you pulled off the board and three cotton that you bought during the production phase you automatically get one free cotton at the start of the game so you have three times three you get nine points for that now it doesn't seem like a lot especially in a Stefan Feld game where the scores are around 150 at the end but keep in mind that it adds up quickly as you start to bring those numbers up higher so let's say you corner the market on coffee on the board you go to every island that has coffee you pick up every coffee commodity token you can find. So you have six or seven of them. And then you buy every coffee you can get out of the production phase. So maybe you have seven off the board and six that you've purchased. That's 42 points. That you get at the end of the game and that's a huge swing and if it doesn't sound like something that would happen very often it's happened to us multiple times already it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on and it's one of those elements of the game that you have to keep in mind at all times Uh, not just for yourself but if you see somebody else hoarding coffee you might want to start blocking them from buying those production tokens the final way that you can score at the end of the game is with gold now the gold builds up in a number of ways There are some progress tokens that you can purchase off the game board that will give you gold at various points throughout the game, but you can also sell your action points for gold. So let's say six red tokens come out, and you don't need to buy anything at all. So you can decide, instead of using those six red tokens, the red cubes, to sell them for gold instead. So what you do is you divide the total number of cubes by three, round up, that's how much gold you get. Now, those are the only two major ways you can get gold in the game. If you max out your cannons, anything above the 12 or so that it maxes out at is also goes on your gold track, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, There's also an expansion that came with the Kickstarter packages that puts gold on the board that you can then pick up if you build there, which is a really cool element that we have not played with yet. But that is... In the expansion, it's not necessarily going to be in the retail box. But the idea is at the end of the game, every gold you have is worth points. Um, one victory point per gold. And that matters because the gold can be spent during the game for action points. So gold is very valuable in this game. If you don't spend it, you still get rewarded for it. That's really the only thing you get rewarded for. If you still have like leftover cannons or action points or anything else, it's always forfeited. So as you can imagine, there is a lot going on in this game. It changes all the time, but you have to pay close attention to what you're doing, what your opponents are doing, and how it all plays out on the board as you build those trading posts. The game is not a typical Euro in that you are more interactive with other players, but at the same time, you're also moving around the board. The board's very much changing all the time. You're building on it every time you play it. The map pieces will be in different places. The cubes coming out are very random, but there are no dice in this game, which you would expect from a game with heavy randomness. And at the same time, despite that very random element, the game is, doesn't feel random at all because at every single stage of the game, and there are 35 individual phases in this game, you get to choose exactly what you wanna do based on the conditions of that individual phase. So it's a very cool way to visualize the exploration of these islands. And you really do honestly feel like you're exploring and you're getting out there and you're discovering new resources and you're building trading posts. And if at the end of the game, you have the most victory points, meaning that you've discovered the most and built the largest empire in the new world, then you are the winner of Amerigo. All right, guys, so what do we think about Amerigo?
0: I think I want it now and that Brian is never going to see this game again.
2: Yeah, that seems to be the consensus now. <laughs> he loaned this to me three weeks ago, like right before the Extra Life event. He's like, you have to review this. I just got this in from Kickstarter. Nobody has it. And I was like, looks awesome. Opened it up. We don't have time for this. But I'm really glad we came back to it because despite despite the look of it, despite the fact that it looks so intimidating, it's really not that bad in terms of setup and playthrough and everything, but the game is amazing.
0: Oh, yeah, it's so good. And now, Stephen... Uh, Stephen Field. He also did um Bruce, right? Yes. Yes. You you feel that in this game too, where everyone has the same things available to them. It's not like one player gets to roll three dice and gets a seventeen, gets the best of everything. Everything is universal amongst the players. So what you're gonna do during your turn, you have just as many action points as anyone else. The question is where are you investing those? And the one thing I also like in this game a lot is the first player will change but not because you took the first player marker or something like that. It's because the stack of the chips on the board, if somebody's occupying the same space, it's whoever's on top is first. So I can be following your lead. You know, like we talked about other games where you start to fall behind, like sometimes in Canterbury or others, like you feel like you're making the wrong choices. I can do everything that you're doing and then when you move up five spots on the white track and then I fi- you know, follow up and I move up five spots on the white track, now I'm player one. Now I have to decide, and you get to follow me if you want to.
2: Yeah, if you all move the exact same number of times every time the white cubes come up, it will change who's in the lead. Now, if you're in the middle in a three-player game, you're never going to be in the lead. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> That happened. <laughs> but the cool thing about the game, though, is that while there is a white phase, you know, out of the seven phases, the um, the white cubes can come up during any of those phases. So... Sure, you could just move during that one phase, or you could move in another random phase. You're like, I don't need to buy landscape tiles right now. I already have six. I can't build any of them. Or I don't need another progress token. I already took one. I will move further up the track. And then you can jump ahead in the lead if you need it for the next round.
0: Yeah, and I just, I love that feel. I love these games where, you know, you're, it's somewhat adversarial. Like, you know, there's a couple of, like, you know, mess with your neighbor cards in this where you, like, up the number of pirates for the other players, but... Just in general, I love that feel of you're trying to like outwit your opponents. You're trying to, you know, you might not go out. Everyone thinks of the blue phase as this is when we move our ships. You might just go, I'm going to buy from the market now because one of those yellows came up. Then later on during the yellow phase, people, you know, get a little thrown off when two or three of those tiles are missing because you bought out the market. And even that, like the variables, where you can just choose to not even really explore, just get a couple of goods and just get those massive multipliers. We played a game where we saw people get, like, 40 and 50 points at the end on just the market items.
2: Yeah. Chris destroyed us the first game we played, but the major point difference was those tiles. Oh, yeah. Like, I had 15 or 20 points, you had 15 or 20 points, and I don't remember how many you had, like, 40? I
1: think, like, 40-something points
2: Yeah, Yeah, and I think you got,
0: like, 30 or 36 on just one set. yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, that was impressive, too, because we didn't see it coming until he just laid them out. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And we just got totaled. And
2: I realized I had titles for all like five resources. I'm like, this can't be right.
0: <laughs> well, it was really bad. I mean, it was also a bad start, though, when we counted up all of our bonus points and Chris was like two points behind one of us. And we're like, well, we know we didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how badly this was. Oh, <laughs> we'll lap everyone. Oh, that was fun. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the first time you play this, don't expect to, like, min-max it or anything because there's so much going on. And it's Stefan Fell game, so you can play it differently every time, but the victory points come from everything. So trying to visualize the best path to get the most points, I'm not sure there is a best path. You know, it seemed like in that game, yeah, we should have done better with the resources, but then let's say everybody does better with the resources and you get all the coffee and I get all the cotton and someone else gets all the... the uh Sugar cane, then what? There's so many other ways to get victory points. It's not you have you have to have an open mind throughout the game.
0: And even like that, where it's like, um, say you know you don't have any of the cotton, and you notice a lot of it on the market. If you're the first player, you could do that. I'm going to mess with you move where you buy out the cotton, because that can kneecap your opponent by like 21 points. So sometimes you might do that one off play, just to help regulate. And even though. You're not going to get nearly as many points. You only get like three or four for that cotton. It is a strategic move. So, if you do feel that you're getting like beat behind or somebody's like blowing past you a little bit, you can actually play a slightly hand- like handicapping moves. You know, they may not be the best, but it's an option, which I really love in these games. Like, like I was saying before, it does have that bruge feel where you don't have to worry. You know, yeah, you didn't get to do this this turn, but that doesn't mean you're out of the race. You know, the next time those cubes come through the tower it could be a whole new thing for you.
1: I just think what a lot of his games, what it reminds me of is just it's simple complexity. It's so complex. There's so many things to do. And somehow, with Bruges and obviously Amerigo, Stefan Feld finds a way to make it simple. Yeah. So, wow, there's so many different things. You know what? When the cubes come out, those will be your choices. Oh, all right. So that's, I can manage that, you know. And it's it's so much fun to look at this board with... You know the navigation and the islands and where do you place the buildings and the progress track and and all the resources and just just such a multitude of different ways to score points and somehow you're managing it all on the first very the first game you're playing and it's amazing yeah it's it's like
0: actually like the hardest part in the game is all the bonus scoring at the end because everything's yeah. points. Like, <laughs> yes. okay, I got twenty-two points from the market. I got fifteen points from the progress track. On the white track, I got ten points. So, like, the bonus is like the hardest part.
2: You which, almost feel like you're gonna forget something.
0: Yeah. Sure. But outside of that, I mean, like you said, it, it's it's great. Just like feeling like, okay, well, where do you want to go now? Like, what do you want to do? And on a side note, bonus on the modular board.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, awesome. modular board's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. always a great thing, so you can play different every time.
2: Yeah, and that frame. That's just I've played with modular boards before and they just slide all over the table and you're trying to move them back or the pieces are moving around. Slap a frame on there, it's like a full board, but it's different every single time you set it up. Yeah, it looks, and it doesn't take very long.
0: Yeah, it's just simple puzzle locking pieces that go around the islands. And like you said, it's it's one of the smartest ideas and innovations I've seen yet.
1: And you usually don't see the um expiration you're moving the ship around and you're trying to get to different ports. You don't see that in a lot of Euro games. It's it's a really interesting mechanic yeah. that um usually it's resource building, it's creating an engine to kind of feed your people or to score points. And this is kinda of like, let's see if I can get to the best ports possible and lock those down. Yeah, this is probably my favorite thing
2: about this game. Euros in general, not in general, but a lot of them feel almost like you're playing by yourself. Sure. And then occasionally you got to see what everybody else is doing because it affects what you're doing. Maybe the number of resources or this or that or that, and what they're scoring, and you make sure you keep up with them. But it ends up feeling like very you know internal, whereas an Ameritrash game is you know combat, combat, attack, attack, going at each other, player elimination, all that. This game, you're not attacking each other. There aren't a lot of those cards like the like the chips you mentioned with the pirates, um, but you always feel like it matters what everybody else is doing and how you interact with them because you need to get to that port first or you want to build on that space first or you want to land those resources before they do being first player matters a ton because you're buying so much off of the board like you want to buy this progress token or this commodity first if someone else gets it and it's not there for you then you're going to you know your plans are going to be messed up a little bit so it really matters a lot what other people are doing you're interacting with them constantly but you're not you know firing at them from your ship or something
0: yeah. Now one thing with that that I think is awesome When we were talking about the white track And the first player marker If you're in the lead over everyone You're guaranteed first place But when you get to the end When you land on that final square Which lets you use white cubes as anything And you got a cincher on the 15 victory points You might be the first player for a while But the downside of once you land on that square And once that catches up Now you're going to be second player for the rest of the game Now the person catches up You're a third player for the rest of the game So even that, I love that it balances out that, like, if you want to race to be first player, that's your call. But you might be the last player for the last half of the game. So that's, like, even little things like that, there's, like, so much subtlety in this game that just really leads to interesting results at the end.
2: ridiculously balanced. How he takes, like you said, complex simplicity, it's just so much there, and he just, everything balances out in the right way. Like, you never feel like somebody has an advantage if they go first to start the game versus you know, getting a particular island. Yeah. Like, the big islands score more points when you build, but they're harder to
0: finish. And even that, like, I like the fact that you might find, like, a decent-sized island that has, like, four or five ports. You know, if somebody else lands there and they're building up, yeah, you know, they're going to get some bonus points, too. But if you can lock up a good island, you're going to get bonus points based on the number of ports, what turn you finish it. You know, you may not explore it that much. You might just lock down one area and still just rock a ton of points.
2: Or you could do what Mike did and just get, like, six small islands. Yeah. Got all the bonuses for completing them, but they were all, like, four
0: squares each. Yeah, he was, like, literally island topping. He was just, you know, like, I'll snatch this one, I'll snatch this one. And, I mean, that's what won him the game. It's it's amazing how v- so much variety of strategy can even exist in just one title. Yeah,
2: and it's pretty cool, too, because Brian got the Kickstarter edition. So we opened the box up, and it's got three expansions already there. Yeah. And like he picked up the bigger version. And... You can this game. You know, you play it once, you know it's ripe for expansion. There's so much you can do with it. But you just look at some, what some of these are, and like already, I'm excited to play it with those because one is a volcano where you could. There's money on the board where you're going to pick up gold off the board because normally that. getting gold is hard. You know, you're just selling resources. Another one is you build buildings that then produce uh, Resource, resources right? that you would normally have to buy off the board. So there's so many different ways you can make the game even more complex and give yourself even more ways to score victory points. And obviously, Stefan Phil's already thought of you know half a dozen of them because yeah. you put them in the box.
0: I definitely want to play with that volcano. That thing looks awesome. Yeah, it does.
2: What do you guys think overall? Um, we obviously all like it, but what would you say, like, rating-wise?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, this game is fantastic as a Euro, and the, that little, like, the cube tower. It's not really a dice tower, but that cube tower, as soon as we put that on the board, people are like, oh, what's that? What's that? Because it's standing tall, and it's just that... Dropping it in, you actually feel almost like a slot machine. Like, oh, what are we going to get to do this turn? You know? That is, it's such a unique idea and it does add a ton to this game. Like, that alone makes this game stand out over others. But, I mean, just in general, for the modular board, this game, I love Canterbury, but I always do wonder about the replay factor since the board is always the same. This game just. Like wowed me from start to finish. I cannot wait to get my own copy of this game. So absolutely Unquestionably go out and get this should be out before the end of the year for me It's already in my cart
1: as I said earlier this game should not be easy to play when you look at the box is huge the component list is huge the traditional Euro game art is like oh yeah exploring yeah, all right, cool. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and the
0: instruction booklet is written in ancient runes. <laughs> so, and it's
1: a heavy game, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a big, heavy game. Um, but w- Stefan Feld, I, d- I don't know. He, he definitely balanced the line between genius and insanity because it it's just this the simple complexity of the game sitting down you have everything set up and you're initially overwhelmed you play the first round you play the first complete round and you're like yeah i got this this is fine and it's not one of those games you have to come into like this pre-made strategy of what to do and how to do it you just play along with the game and see what comes up and you manage it and honestly that tower is amazing the idea that you can put in cubes which are just once again used as a generic kind of construct and it has this really fun dimension where first off everybody wants to throw the cubes in yeah that's definitely that's always a nice fun factor and then based on how this this tower is constructed some of the cubes get held up which you're like why but then later on especially the later the game goes, you get these random cubes and you're like, oh, so that was like three rounds ago that that's where that white cube went and now it dramatically changes the game and now you can use a whole different set of possibilities which you didn't know was available Or, and what a great feature. What a tremendous fun feature to it and then obviously you have the map board. You have this map with these modular pieces and you can move your ships around and you can make ports and you can put buildings down. It's like, really? That seems like, another different game and then you have this economic engine where you can get different resources and multipliers and that's that's a different game too and yeah and you can get these special abilities that you can pick up that are just for you and your progress tokens well that's a separate game so whatever this game costs you're making it back in double triple quadruple because you're getting multiple games in one and it plays together seamlessly and it's fun and it's it seems cool from a distance because you're like, wow, you're managing all that? Yeah, it's no problem. I just wait for the cubes <laughs> to come out. It's cool. You know, I'm, I'm it's down with that. do I look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are bringing you that. Sentence, Can you take care of this? <laughs> <laughs> sure, let me drop the cubes and let's see what comes out. <laughs> so there really isn't anything to knock on this game at all. I would like the buildings to be maybe a little more um, well-defined. The map was a little flat, you know, as far as... Um, graphic design or artistry, but that's such a small nitpick as far as a game that has so much to offer. This game's a buy, so the only question is: Will we end up having three copies of this? Because it's one of those games where you really do want to own this because the components, the pieces are just really great quality, and the cons- and the, the game mechanics are great. So go out and buy this. Stefan Fell, great job once again. Yeah, I opened this up, I think, the night before we played it, and I was
2: looking at the rule book because I wanted to read it before we played. And from the moment I opened it up and Brian showed it to me, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a headache. (laughs) i got to learn the rules. It's new. There's no videos or anything. But I think I whipped through the book in, you know, 30 minutes. And I was like, I think I could teach this game now. And we came in, we ran through the first round in maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes. And I was like, yeah, this game is amazing. Any game, any designer who can make a game that has, you know, 20, 30 pounds of components, like... A list that takes up the entire front page of this booklet and yet the game takes 15 minutes to run through and maybe double that to you know get down to the point where you can just run through each round no problem we played the game within the time frame on the box the first time that's how smoothly it runs and that never happens with any other game. <laughs> no gosh no it's like the game's an hour and a half it'll take us three hours to play it exactly and we expected it to we set aside that much time yeah. for it and we whipped through it it was fine Because it all works so well, and you just don't expect it to. Even now, I'm kind of amazed that, like you said, there's so many different components here. There's like four different games in there, and they all run together just seamlessly. Like, how do you do that? How much do you have to playtest that? And then if you're playtesting that much... How did you release so many other games this year?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what deal he made with the Dark Lords. You Seriously. This, off, this is unbelievably good. This game. is some Stephen
1: King, Tom Clancy <laughs> stuff going on here. You got interns was, making games for yeah, him. Yeah, why was that? He threw together America. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's because why not? He had three other games coming out The year, but yeah! I
0: had hey, an America. extra weekend to myself. Just whipped up
2: America. <laughs> just floating around in the back of my head. Just a little idea. No, but this game is just amazing. And I don't... I'm not a universal level of Euro games. Um, sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they're dry. This game is not dry at all. You you might look at it. It might even seem like it at first because, um, you know, like Chris said, it is a little flat. But the second you start playing, the first time you drop those cubes into the tower or pull up one of those progress tokens, you'll be into it. You'll be 100% into it. And it doesn't matter if you've played a game like this before or not. You're going to like this kind of game. And it is a little... It seems intimidating and it's going to be the first time you play through. I don't think you can really fully understand what you're doing or why you're doing it until you've played it at least one full game but you're going to want to play the second time i honestly like i can't imagine a lot of people who are not going to like this type of game and we know lots of people who like this or like that or don't like these kind of games and it's just it manages to hit every possible itch in the right way
1: at least for me i think after the first time i played this game and we i had a chance to jump in on the second game and I said, you know what, let somebody else play it. Because it's, it's really that much fun that you want other people to enjoy it. And it's like, I'm still watching and really would like to play. You guys enjoying it? Because yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I sat there with them like most of the way
2: through the game. I was just like walking them through it because there was three new people on that game yeah. with Dan. And we, no, I set it up and I showed him how to set it up and we ran through. And I was still sitting there like an hour later. I'm like, I should go do something else. You guys know how to play this now. <laughs>
0: and, and the one thing that's funny is you were saying how people love putting the cubes in the tower. It's whoever's the first player gets to do that. So I saw people actually racing up the white track. He's like, I want to put the cubes in.
2: <laughs> Mike was actually sitting on the opposite side of the table from his player board so he could drop the cubes yeah, in the just tower.
0: To
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that tower. Like, what amount of engineering went into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, a, you know, somebody looked at a dice tower and they're like, well, what if all the dice didn't come through? And then has this awesome, awesome fundamental for this game.
2: Yeah. You have to wonder if that's where he started. Or if that just became like, I need something that makes it random, but it's not dice. And then he thought of it. Like, which came first?
1: the tower or the game? (laughs) And honestly, it's one of those things you could technically track it and go, I think there's two more blues and one more green, but even at the end of the game, those might not come out at all. Yeah.
2: You can know what's in there easily. Yeah, there's only 49 cubes in the game, so counting them wouldn't be difficult at all. Like, multiple times I'd look and be like, oh, there's three more reds in there. Doesn't mean they come out doesn't do you any good
1: yeah because at the end of the game i think we had three or four cubes that just kind of hung in there the entire game
2: yeah at one point we needed the black cubes to come out for cannons and they never did five of them stuck in there only two came out Jeez. and so we lost points because if you don't have your cannons the pirates are going to beat you up so it's just and that's totally random what are you going to do but it doesn't happen all the time either so it's not like you feel like the game is twisting one india either sometimes you get one color sometimes you get four to choose from sometimes you get three cubes sometimes you get nine
1: cubes who knows what's know nice what about going. that too is it's really balanced so if you do get four different cubes which allows you to do a lot of different things you can't do a lot of, you can't do those things a lot you only have maybe one or two actions to do on those things whereas you get one color you're like well that's not great but you get to do a lot of actions with that one thing
0: yeah I was like where it's like alright well I guess we're all going on the progress track yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I mean the only other thing is um, like I know the price tag on this game is a little high, but you are getting a wealth of components and the modular board alone. You know you're not getting stuck with the same layout or you know like small world you kind of know the board based on the number of players, so you kind of got your game plan. You're like, all right, I'm gonna if I get this class, I'm gonna go here. With this modular board, the big ones like you said are worth more points. You might have two or three, you might only have one based on the layout. It's it's fun not knowing what you're getting until they're flipped and you're playing. Yeah. So between that, the wood, the you know, there's so many pieces to this game, it, it's worth that price tag. Do not let that, you know, yeah. influence your decision. More than worth it.
2: Honestly, when you know, and he got this off Kickstarter for whatever he got it for, but I assumed it would be more. I think it's seventy five yeah. retail. But I honestly assumed it'd be more than that based on what's in the box. It's so much in here, especially that tower. And I'll be honest, I hopefully Queen Games makes the tower available separately in some way. If somebody breaks that tower, this sure. game is done.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good thing, too. The insert's great, because it fits the tower perfectly. Exactly, yeah. So but I could just see
2: somebody like flinging coffee
1: you know, accident. Oh, sure. yeah.
2: And then the tower's done, and everybody's crying. Cause <laughs> I can't
0: you might, play the Marigou ever again! You might want to spray some of your sealant for your miniatures on the outside or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: coat it up. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say it's a definite buy. We might end up with three copies of this game. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on when it comes out this year. We can get the extra shipping. But... Yeah, this is a fantastic game. I haven't had this much fun playing a brand new game that was this complicated in a while. Even when it's fun, it's like the first few times through or, you know, working your brain around it trying to figure out how to play. This is just legitimately fun to play. You know, you get that feeling of exploration. You get that feeling of freedom to do whatever you want to do. And every decision you make affects how the game turns out. It's not just filling time until the end of the game. So that is Amerigo. And uh, as soon as it comes out, you should definitely check it out this is a fantastic game.
0: All right, so we know that all of us want to get a merry-go. But, you know, it may not be your game yet. You might just be new to the hobby. You might want to start your own collection. And one of the guys that was at our Extra Life event, he never really checked out this stuff before, but he had a blast. And he wanted to know, like, you know, he's looking for a smaller budget, like, you know, like $100, $120 bucks or so, to start a little gaming group amongst him and his friends. So he wanted some opinions and ideas on what some really good titles for, like, a new gaming group. So I figured we'll like throw a few ideas out there, like the must haves, you know, for when you first begin the hobby. Like one of the ones that I would say everyone should get is Love Letter. You know, it's a really simple game, really easy to teach, and it gets used people like used to that idea of roles and something a little different. You know, it's a breakaway from like, you know, your classic card games or like Uno or something like that. And it shows like, you know, how some of the games can be quicker and that like ever changing environment in the gaming.
2: Yeah, that was one of the first ones I picked up. And Mark, Margaret still plays it all the time. Like, if we don't have a lot of time, she's like, oh, play a game, I guess. Love Letter, it's the way to go. Uh, and it's accessible to just about anybody because it's so quick, it's so easy. Like, if you're going to pick one game to teach somebody and you have, like, 20 minutes, go with Love Letter.
0: Now, another one I would say, Dixit, is. I always think it's a good game for new groups, too. It's non-confrontational, so you don't have to worry about, like, arguments breaking out or getting upset about not understanding the rules. And it's just, like, really simple, nice, beautiful art, incredibly simple board to follow. You know, and again, it gets people used to the idea of victory points. You know, you're racing towards a goal, not, you know, shutting out other players like people are used to in Monopoly or Clue or whatever. So, I mean, it's just, again, one of those really simple games. And it's a game that gets a lot of laughs, surprisingly, because people like oh, all right, I I see why you said that. And, you know, it's even like if people are a little shy, it helps them feel like a little more clever and a little more outcoming because they get to, you know, maybe show off that little side bit of information they didn't know on a really good hint for that card.
1: Yeah, especially with Dixie because you get to bring yourself to the game. So no matter what type of crew you have playing that game, it's already at that level. So... You can have somebody, a group or people who are really kind of like heavily intellectual and pulling out really interesting scholastic literary kind of themes. Or you can have a bunch of kids coming together and kind of pulling out words out of left field or just talking about colors or animals, or whatever's on there. So it plays with a lot of different people. It's simple to learn. There's no really rules that you have to worry about. And actually, the rules are actually printed on the board. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun.
0: And what's great is if your group loves that game, there's, you know, more and more sets you can always add on to that game. Sure, even... it's an
1: endless number of cards and the artwork is probably the best artwork out there for any game.
0: Yeah, it's second to oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: it's fun to look at. Sure.
0: Now uh, one other thing I, I figured is always a good idea is like a gotcha game to get, you know, to give a little bit of that adversarial swing. Uh I always like poison. I think that's a fun one for people and again very easy to learn. It's a good beer and pretzels game, so you can like, you know, show people a quick, simple way of playing it tossing those cards into those pots, you know. When, at, when every pot is at 13 and each of them have a poison bottle, that's when people will realize sometimes in these games, just no matter what you do, you're taking a bad turn.
1: <laughs> and what's great about this game, too, is if you're bringing people in for the first time who haven't played designer board games or designer card games, this is basically a trick, trick-taking trick game. So people have probably played hearts or spades at some point or at least understand the basic concept so this adds a, a nice little flavor, a nice little theme kind of thrown on top. And it's a lot simpler to play. So, you know, maybe for family members who may be a little bit older and you want to kind of bring them over to this side, Poison's a great game for that.
0: Now, one of the first Trader Mechanic games I played was actually with you, Chris, before we got to really know each other, and you showed me how to play Resistance. Resistance. That game, again, it's a good game to get to your starter group. You can play it with about five or more people, and it, again, it shows like that nice variety that these types of games have to offer, where you don't know who you can trust, but you're going to find out the fun way. You yeah, know?
2: definitely. Yeah, I definitely think you should have a co-op game in there too. There's a lot to choose from, but it, like Pandemics up there, Flashpoint, Fire Rescue is a great one too. Um,
1: yeah, just Castle Any, Panic, I think. Castle Panic, great. Forbidden
2: Island, Forbidden Desert. Yeah, yeah. those are fantastic, especially family friendly. Sure. Very accessible, and they're quicker pandemic runs a little longer
1: yeah and you definitely while there's a lot of great games and you, you get somebody new in a group you're like i want to show you all these great games start out with something that's simple and just really displays that particular mechanic so like I'm saying trick taking co-op games you know love letter has a little combination of both but expose them to the mechanic and not multiple multiple mechanics
0: yeah like um like what i like a forbidden desert Like, I haven't played Forbidden Island yet, but I do like Forbidden Desert because it gives people roles, so it'll show them, like, you know, not everyone plays the game the same way. You know, you gotta go for something a little different. One thing I love in Forbidden Desert is that little ship that it comes with that you actually assemble as you find the pieces. That's cool. So, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of funny because we broke out the game, and once people saw that ship on the table, they were like, hey, what's that? Can I try? (laughs) And, again, it's a game you can play two players, and you can play up to, I think, up to six, actually, or something. Like, five or six. So it's it's a nice game, you know, you only got one or two people over, you wanna get more, it's a really good way to incorporate. And also, um, you know, Pandemic is good, could be a little overwhelming. Pandemic is one of the harder games where people that are brand new to the hobby might be getting beat by the game a lot. Sure. So it could be a little harder to get them used to
1: that. And that's that's a game you wanna kinda of graduate to. Whereas at least like for, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, you see what's happening in front of you. And once they play that, they can play Pandemic. It's yeah. really a nice step.
0: One of the, that I like is, um, like for deck builders, Ascension released, uh, recently released the Apprentice Edition. It's only a two-player variant. It doesn't come with those cool little plastic gems and everything. But it's like 10 or $15, bucks. fold out paperboard, but it has the victory points, it has just simple decks. You know, it doesn't have as many cards as a core set, but it has a really cheap price, too. Now, you're only doing two players, but if you have enough of your friends interested in it, you can always spring from one of the bigger sets. And then you can actually just add these cards to that set, giving you even more to play with, more variety. I mean, I I was really pleased with that. I mean, we have all the Ascension sets, so, you know, we're kind of set and ready, but it's it's a really good starting point. That was a really smart move on their behalf of putting that out there.
2: Yeah. I think DC Deck Builder would be another good one. Like, entry-level kind of deck builder. Yeah. If, if you're going to go, if you don't want to go the fantasy route, because Ascension's fantastic, but if you want to stay more modern or comic books or...
0: Yeah, simple play, you know, very easy to understand. There's only one uh, economic source in the game, so you don't have to worry about, like, over, you know, like, okay, you have energy and fighting and, you know, it's just nice and kind of dry, and that's great. You know, it's very hard for someone to get it wrong because it's so easy to play.
1: Another great game to add to that collection would be something in the Euro arena. So, especially in America, if you're trying to bring somebody over to the Euro section, obviously, like we talked about, America is a great game. Maybe a step too fast for somebody. So, if you're going to look at the Euros, typically people say, go Catan. But maybe we offer you something a little bit different. Star Trek Catan. Um, if you haven't played Star Trek Catan yet, it's just like the original Catan, but you actually have action cards that let you do different maneuvers throughout the game. It makes the game a lot faster, a lot simpler, and a lot more thematic for what's going on there. And it's really a really good way to get new players involved. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's very thematic. Sure, because you know, usually when you are playing regular Catan, so much of it's based upon trading. So if you have a bunch of new players playing a game like that... I want to trade you this for this. And you're like, I'm not really sure if that benefits me. I'm not sure what to do with that. And the game kind of kind of blogs down a little bit. But at least with Star Trek at hand, you have those cards which help you with those trades a lot better. Yeah, definitely.
2: And then the same kind of conversation from before, if you don't want to go the sci-fi route, you always have Waterdeep.
0: Yes. Yeah, Waterdeep is, remains one of my favorites. Gets, again, people like, you know, that victory point style condition and gives them, like, resource management so it'll help you know players get used to this concept of it's not just running around the board to win it's knowing what to get along the way and that helps out a lot too um, one of the things is like i love like dungeon crawler games and i think one of the probably best starting ones is mice and mystics yeah because you're all working together so there's it's not adversarial you know to each other but to the game itself and it's you know has, it introduces a lot of interesting concepts, but it's really fun, really simple. The miniatures are great. The flipping the board over as you go through, like, you know, doors or sewers or whatever is a really fun part, too. You know, yeah. it, it's a good one. Like, I love Descent, but that, I can easily see
2: Descent. You look you at know. that. If somebody would look at that and just immediately yeah. not want to do it, and they don't know what's in it. But exactly. But like, Mice and Mystics, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's like Redwall. You know, it's it looks cute. It looks simple. And it gets a little deeper as you get higher up in the levels. There are, you know, 10, 11 chapters in the base, and then now there's an expansion coming out. So there's a lot of chapters you can play through, and the story is pretty good. Like, you just want to read through the storybook. It's great. Yeah. So it's good for kids, too.
0: And, like, the one thing I love about that game is, uh, you know, the first time you, your group looks at it, they might be like, oh, I don't want to be mice running around fighting roaches or whatever. Play that first adventure and tell me you don't have fun. Like, I thought it was awesome when I had to throw a fishing hook on a, on a line to save my friend from drowning in the sewer. You know, you don't think you're know, like, oh, I'm just a stupid little mouse anymore. You're like, no, man, I need to save your life. you got to come on with us. You have to come to the end. Like, that was so cool. That hadn't seen one of our friends get snatched up by the bird at the end and carried off. We were like, no! <laughs> like, it's simple, but it, it's a fun game. It'll get people involved. Like, a lot more than I thought you would.
2: Yeah. If you have family members that you want to get into dungeon crawlers, this is the way to go. Because it's, it looks so inviting. Yeah, And then nice. as you move up the chapters, it gets harder. And you start learning those other mechanics and how to manage things a little better and to stay alive and then maybe not stay alive sometimes.
0: And what's cool, too, is it's one of the games that has a variable difficulty. Mm -hmm. So just because you play, you know, much like some of the other co-op games, as you play and you get used to it, you can always up that difficulty, have a harder experience, get a little more bang for that buck, too. You know, like, because that's the biggest thing when you start your gaming group, you know, everyone's a little, like, you know, nervous about, like, oh, well, I don't know these things. I don't know if I want to drop that much. When you know you can get that much replay out of your games, it's really good, yeah, absolutely, And then the last thing I would say is maybe just pick up like a few of those little filler games, like a Hanabi, you know like any of those like you know ten to fifteen dollar games, you know you might get a little intimidated by them, certain things might seem like a little too hard to play, but as you check out some of these other titles and you come back, you're like, "Oh, this mechanic is like this, this game plays like that, or you know. Once you get your your basic set and you find out what your group likes, you're going to find tons of stuff to build off.
2: Right, So, yeah, we posted this question before we recorded today on Facebook, and we got a lot of responses, actually. There's a really great conversation there. If you're following us on Facebook or want to, you know, like us now, you can go on there and add your voice to the conversation. But everybody has, like, their favorite games that they like to throw out there for everybody. Um, So we have lists from... A lot of different people. Earl threw a bunch at us. Uh, King of Tokyo, Tonto Kore, Race to the Galaxy, Risk Legacy, um, Settlers Caten, San Juan, Love Letter, Guillotine, Great Moody, which he always wants to bring out. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Uno, and Illuminati, which I don't think we've ever actually played Illuminati with Earl. He keeps wanting to bring it out. But that's it's true. Just, that's a 12-hour game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, I don't know what's going to happen. but <laughs> That would be a rough for beginners. Yeah. <laughs> but it's supposed to be amazing. Um Brian is probably our biggest Ticket to Ride fan in the store. Sure. So, Ticket and Ticket to Ride is a great game to have in your collection, you know, early on. And it's very accessible for kids and everybody all like. Um he also said Pandemic, Love Letter, It's kind of universal. Elder Sign if people like that like the horror theme, the uh, Lovecraftian kind of Cthulhu.
0: Yeah, Cthulhu mythos. is like this year's zombies. Yeah. So if you have all your friends that are really into that uh, HP Lovecraft, you know, it's always a good idea.
2: And Elder Sign is probably one of the easier games to play, in that in that vein. Uh, Magical Athlete, I haven't played
1: this yet, but I saw them playing the other day. It looks fun. Yeah, I played it. It's pretty simple. It's you pick a couple of characters and you kind of race. A lot of fun.
2: Yeah, awesome. And then Hanabi, which he's got Ticket to ride. He's got Hanabi. That's that, those <laughs> are Brian games. That's <laughs> Brian's games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple other ones on the list here. We've got Dixit, Feed the Kitty. Which is great for kids. Um, <laughs> Dominoes. I see that come out at the store a lot.
0: One other that I would like to add to this list: Long Shot.
2: Long Shot. Long Shot is fantastic,
0: and it's fun. That it is, is very fun. You know, you don't care if you win because, like, you find yourself like actually holding your fake money, going, "Come on, come on!" as a horse is rearing the end that you bet on. Yeah. It, I think that's a great gateway to get the you know your friends to check out something different.
2: Yeah, that should definitely be on the list. I don't even know what category that falls
0: into, but just fun. It's its own, it yeah, absolutely fun. The game. fun one. <laughs> it, it, you, all you have to do to say to somebody, "Hey, do you like betting on anything?" Cool, you want to play this? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, it
2: never hurts to have a couple staples in your collection. Things like dominoes, and decks of playing cards, play the classic games. Everybody knows how to play. Has been playing since they were kids. Um, just getting people playing games. You know, that's what this is all about.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's always fun when you start like this off with your friends, like. You know, we only got into this, you know, so long ago. And it's just great when you just start playing these new games and you're learning these things and you're finding out what works for your group and you're just going on from there.
2: Hopefully that helps you out if you're trying to set up a collection, if you're starting up a game group and you want to know what kind of games to pick up or check out. Um, that is everything for us this week. I hope you enjoyed the uh, our first week back reviewing games. And uh, next week we're going to have that holiday guide for you. Some of the best games that are hitting the market or that are out this year in the last couple of years. That you should take a look at for the holidays. That is everything for this week. This is
1: Anthony. This is Dan, and this is Chris. And in the role of Kim is the purple maple. And until next time, we'll save you seat at the table.
0: All right, man, that betrayal list. Kim's got to pay for it, man. We got to go get her.
1: All right, where is she?
0: I don't know. That's gonna be the fun part. Okay. We got to start exploring locations. Bring out our modular map of the area and see if we can find you something. <laughs> get
1: the right color cube, come out the
0: tower.
1: <laughs> Purple cubes. We know it's Kim.
0: Yeah, that's how we're gonna know. She's gonna <laughs> next thing she's gonna do is paint every cube in America purple.
1: I think that's why she didn't show up for this podcast because there were no purple cubes in this game. Probably. That's right. <laughs> Stefan Feld's one fault. He doesn't like purple. That's really purple, man. I think the biggest fault was that
0: he didn't have Kim on his uh, creative staff. That's why she decided to sabotage us. That's
2: true. Saw it coming. When I opened it up and there was no purple, I knew we were in <laughs>
1: Although he he did brew, he had purple. No, it wasn't purple, it was royal blue, don't you remember the podcast? It's just that I have really, really really bad light bulbs in this house. That's true. Why are they all purple? Because Kim (laughs) lives (laughs) here.
0: But all I know is I got my pitchfork and torch ready, man. Let's go find her!